Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Julia, Julia Brewer-Daily. Nice to see you, Julia. Looking forward to this conversation. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. So uh, I, I love the conversations with you know fellow adoptees and yeah, it makes my heart sing. Um, so when we chatted a couple of months ago, um, you talked about um, uh, squashing our feelings down. And I, I, and as I said before we started re- recording today, that, that really leapt out for me at, at, when I looked at the notes from the conversation. Uh, and um, I, uh, I, I feel that I, I've done that. Uh, I feel that I do that as, as well, perhaps less than I used to do. Um, but I think we all do it, right? It, but, but we don't always talk about it. So, um, uh, and that means that we think that we're the only ones, we're the only one thinking like that, the only one that's feeling like that, trying to do that. And then we start beating ourselves up about what we're doing and, and, off, we, and, and off the mind goes on its little trip. Um, so uh, why let, let's let's dis, let's discuss that. So um, why why did you say that? Why why did you why was that something that that, that you think is important enough uh, to to raise in, in in your chat with me? I think because I try to examine in my old age um, feelings that I might have squashed down, maybe things uh that happened in my childhood or in my youth that that I didn't want to feel and so I I might have tucked those away somewhere and when I listen to adoptees who talk about this trauma that they have experienced they talk about a primal wound and I don't know what that means exactly I I didn't think that I had that but so many of us have problems with relationships or lack of self-esteem. And I wonder, can those be traced to our beginning? Does an infant actually suffer if taken from one woman and placed in the arms of another? You know, can can we be tied so closely to someone in a nine-month period that a lifetime of nurture by someone else does not soothe us? I mean, I, I think there's so many more questions than answers. So I, I think in retrospect, and, you know, they say that hindsight is twenty twenty. I I try to get in touch with those feelings now. I try to think, you know, did that actually happen to me? Was I feeling a certain way? Was I having a longing of some sort and, and I, I didn't pay attention to it? Did I just tuck that away and... And maybe that's what happens to a lot of adoptees and those feelings, you know, come to the surface later when we decide to examine that. Wow. Yeah. Um, there's so much there. Is There's so much there. Um, and as you say, so many more questions and answers. Uh, the, the thing that, um, oh, so I just dropped, dropped my pen. Um, uh, I sounded very Yorkshire then, didn't I? Um, yeah, drop me pen. Um, the uh, and what a great accent you have. Um, I, I for me uh, the, the 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 primal wound uh, is best understood as a feeling. Actually, uh, you know, it's it, it's it's not a it, it's not a 
it's not a, it's not a it's not a physical thing isn't it in in the sense of um like when i was a kid and 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 cut my hand with a swiss army knife right it, it, the the primal wound is a is a feeling and um that is the feeling that tra trauma is a feeling um i guess one of the questions that I'm looking at at the moment is how does that um, feeling of loss of our birth mother, how does that become a thought that we're not good enough? Do you, do you, do you see what I mean? There's a, there's a pre-verbal sense of loss we we were talking about our dogs before um before we started recording so um unfortunately since we last spoke as i said we've we've lost our older dog she was 12 we had to have her uh, put to sleep she was suffering a lot and we will be getting a we will be getting a a, a new little sister for rosie um, in in a couple of months, we've got some vacation coming up, so we're not rushing into it. We don't want to go on vacation and have to put the dog in kennels or whatever. But this will be our fourth dog. And I will be, no doubt, me and my wife will be kept awake by a puppy crying because the puppy has lost its, its mum. So... The, the the there's on one hand we're, so we're talking about the, the a feeling of loss and 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 how but there's something weird going on that that a, a feeling of loss becomes a sense that that we're not a, a thought that we're not good enough you know and and there's that to me is um that it that that is gets to the very the biggest question that it, that's the biggest question for me for us uh, 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 uh adoptees um to to explore and to to question our belief because for me the primal wound is something I, I believed to be true until I didn't. Do you believe that that every adoptee has that wound? Do you believe that that some of us didn't realize we had a loss until much, much later? And I I really think that the family who rears the adopted child is key. What kind of life did they provide their child, their emotional support, their answers to their questions? You know, I think all of that plays into whether a child actually feels that loss. And is it something inherent in us that we, we don't feel like we were good enough to be kept or as we become adults, are we able to understand that no one relinquishes a child without there being some kind of trauma for them, some kind of 
circumstances that they cannot overcome to keep this child of their own. So, you know, the loss I think is, is felt more by the birth parent than the child, at least at first, because, you know, just as that puppy is taken from its mother and a child is taken from its mother, if they are given all that they need at that time, which is comfort and love and food and shelter, you know, at that time, is that all that they need? You know, or is there something deep inside that, that thinks this isn't, this isn't enough? Or is it a, until we wait until much later and can actually understand what happened that we begin to have these questions or doubts? Wow. Um, I, I did a whole, I don't know if you saw that, but I, I we did a whole webinar, an hour and a quarter on this last week. So uh, on the primal wound. Um, I, I can only, so um, I, I didn't feel that I was wounded by adoption until I was 40. And I, I so I, I, I came, people say, well, I came, came out of the fog. Um, I did some, work and was uh let shall we say yeah um how do i how do i put this uh i i did i did some work i did some work on myself and resolved um my relationship with my feelings okay and then uh, then I read the primal wound, and the primal wound took me, took me down again. So I believed it. So you you asked, does is every do do I believe that every adoptee is primarily wounded? Um, I I I don't know, because um, I only know what's gone on for me. For me, the primal wound was something that I believed in. Uh, until I realized that uh, who we truly are is fundamentally unwoundable. Now, I have felt wounded, but have I been wounded? Feeling, feeling one thing and being it are two separate, uh, 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 two completely separate things for me. So um, I, yeah, there's a there's a separation between how how I feel and and who I am. I I, I believe that, yeah, I know. Uh, that that's a huge distinction. I, I think that's the most important distinction that we can make. And you know, I I hear some adoptees blaming adoptive families for for adoption, for the whole system. And they claim that the adoptees should have stayed with the birth family. You know, what, what if these birth 
families were not given a choice, you know, by family or society. They were heaped with shame or embarrassment, especially in the baby scoop era here in the U.S. from the 40s to the 80s. You know, secrets were kept for years. And I wonder, does open adoption alleviate that? I've seen some work beautifully and some fail miserably. And it sounds like a solution, but then there are so many complications. So, you know, I think that certainly the system can be strengthened and we can find ways to to work within the system. But I don't think anyone should be blamed. And I certainly don't want to see adoptees bickering among themselves because we all have different perspectives and circumstances. And if some activists can change the system for the better, then more power to them. And I, I applaud them. But for those who had happy childhoods and adoring adoptive families, you know, I don't want to see them criticized. Yeah. Well, you know, I had um, I had a, a happy childhood and um, I take everything on board in terms of what you say about the system. And my focus is on me being in the best place that I can and 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 um so that I am um, can go out into the world so I can so I, I can enjoy my life and I can go out in the world and 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 make and make some change so I do see some adoptees who are focusing on the external world rather than their internal world and for me I'm focused I'm focused on my internal world so I I yeah I'm focused on my I'm focused on my internal world how how I'm how I'm feeling how the people I'm talking with are, are, are feeling how I am understanding how those people um are, are feeling and and creating hopefully uh, a little bit of peace and love and a and a welcoming community that's that's how i chose choose to spend my life i don't choose to spend my life trying to get bureaucracies to change um because uh if we uh, I, I because if uh, if we if we focus on that um then we're and we're waiting for the world to change before we can feel good. Then we're going to be waiting an awful long time. Yeah. Well, when I looked at the title of your podcast, "Thriving Adoptees," I, I had to look up the definition of thrive. And for a child, an animal, or a plant, it means to grow or develop well to prosper or flourish and this is my favorite line is to progress toward or realize a goal despite or because of circumstances and that is truly my hope for all adoptees for all of us to reach our goals despite or even because of our circumstances, you know, and, and that all means something different to everyone, whether it's a happy life, a successful career, children of our own, whatever it may be, you know, not squashing those feelings down, but thriving in whatever circumstances we find ourselves, you know, because 
I, I think we can look around the world and certainly we can always find people in far worse circumstances than our own, you know, for, for all the child abuse that's going on in this world. You know, those, those children have a long way to go to get to where they can thrive in the world, but many do. I just interviewed on my podcast a man who was not adopted, but abuse from his own family set him back for years. But then he found a way to move past that, to forgive and to forget and to have a very successful business and family, and he is thriving. So that's what I hope for all of us. And no matter what our circumstances and where we came from or where we're going, that we can thrive. Yeah. You asked where whether people have, um, whether, where every adoptee has a, a, a primal wound or not. I, I, my view on my own primal wound is it's like a paper cut compared to what what other um, uh, other adoptees uh, have been through. Look, looks more their wound looks more like a shark bite, right? Somebody's taking a big a big big chunk out of them. Um, in terms of they've been through more stuff, they've been through more 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 trauma, and on top of the. And on top of the the, the the trauma to do with separation from our um, our, our birth mothers, they've been uh, perhaps they've been through through some um, uh, 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 they've been some through some abuse or, or neglect, or maybe um, maybe they have been adopted into uh, in, a, in a family that was very different to theirs, and they didn't feel that they they they, they fitted in. They didn't look like they fitted in, like a transracial adoption. Um, and and some have been through tr tricky and more than tricky stuff uh, in in the family and also outside of the family. So the kind of like the the trauma layers the trauma layers up, you know. Um, and so you know, I, I, as I say I sometimes feel that my my primal wound, if if such a, or the the feelings, the extent to which I have felt wounded, should we say, um, has been much smaller than uh, than, than <laughs> others. And what great gives me great hope, though, is that the people that have been through a lot more than me have also come through it, come through the uh, the other side of of that. And uh, so if they can do it. Then, uh, then uh, anybody can do it, given the right kind of the, the the right support and that. For me, that the the key thing that you you said was about this when you're describing the thriving out of the dictionary is is this word progress. So with progress, we're looking to look forward, and 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 so we we look forward rather than rather than back and that, that's why i've been a big big fan of coaching uh, i because uh, coaches have always encouraged me to look forward not back i've done i've done some i've done some therapy um not a lot of therapy i've been i've done hours and hours and hours i don't know how many hundreds of hours thousands of hours of coaching be, being coached and coaches have always got me to to focus on on the future rather than the past um and one of my favorite quotes i heard on this is 
the past is a place of reference, not a place, not a place of residence. That's very good. And I, I think when we're squashing these feelings down and we're in, we're mired in our emotions and thinking that the first act of our life was rejection from the person who, who gave birth to us, then, you know, I think we need to sit down and listen to these birth mothers who don't have that same experience at all. They're not, I've been told by the ones I've interviewed, they're not rejecting us at all. They are in a place that they cannot uh, keep us, not provide for us. And it is the greatest act of love. It is the greatest sacrifice of their entire lives to place us in a home that they hope can give us everything that they cannot so when we are mired in emotions, thinking we were rejected and having problems with that, I think we need to, to maybe sit down with a birth mother who can describe the feelings and the anxiety and the anguish that they had at relinquishment as well as the rest of their lives. Because when I met my birth mother, she told me that she had prayed in every cathedral in Europe, hoping that I had not been placed in a home that she had read in the newspaper was causing child abuse to happen. She, she was the one who was living in anguish. I was not. I was having a happy childhood with a very secure family. And so I had to assure her that she did the right thing. She could not keep me and she shouldn't carry guilt and shame for the rest of her life for doing what was the greatest sacrifice of her life. Yeah. Uh, so true. So true. Um, what, if I could kind of sum, sum this, sum up what we're, uh, what helps us heal for me is when we have um, a uh, when we change our minds about our story or when we have a, a change of heart. I think that's probably more accurate. Well, we have a, 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 a change of heart. So we have we we see birth mother's predicament and, and we see that the the shame that they were uh, that that they were feeling the predicament that they were in and and that that insight that that uh, evidence perhaps that's what that ev evidence that we see then leads us to To a, to, to a change of the way that we see our story. For, for me, that kind of epiphany or that insight or that new way of thinking, that for me is, is one of the fundamental stepping uh, st stages in our, in our healing. What, what do you make of that? I agree. And, and I think to put ourselves 
into those birth mothers places is just vital for us to to understand their circumstances and to be grateful that they gave us life they didn't have to many of them had other choices other options but they decided to go ahead with their pregnancy and to give birth to us you know i think about that a lot and i think about you know, that was nine months out of her life. She had to go away. She had to live in a maternity home. She had to give birth to a baby she knew she wasn't going to keep. You know, talk about a primal wound. To me, that is the primal wound. Yeah. Um, I, I'm reading a, or listening, I'm listening to an audio book by, um, a lady that's going to come on there, a birth mum that's coming on the show. And um, it goes into great detail about this, what was happening in um, in the 60s in the States, where um, the pressure that, that, that she was under, the um, felt helplessness, really, of, 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 uh, of, of her uh, predicament. And the 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 attitude towards her um the lack uh, the, the, the lack of ha of any such um understanding sorry yeah lack of understanding but also also the fact that it, it didn't that that did not apply that that did just not did not apply to the birth father, right? Yeah. I mean, he 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 got away scot free, you know. Yeah. Uh, he he didn't have this. He, he didn't have this stuff. Um, which as a bloke is kind of tough. Is tough. Is tough for me. That's exactly why I wrote my first book. Although I made it fiction, I didn't make it strictly memoir. There is some of my memoir running through it. I called it No Names to Be Given, talking about those babies in the nursery at a maternity home. And the premise of the story is in the 60s when three unwed women meet at a maternity home in New Orleans to relinquish their babies. And they had to return home as if nothing transpired. And that, that was that baby scoop era that we were talking about. And I, you know, I think a lot of us talk about our feelings, talk about trying to find closure. The word closure is always tossed around when we, when we talk about a search for our uh, original family. And I think it means something different to everyone. You know, some people long for another family. Maybe they didn't have a good adoptive family. So they're longing for a family that they hope will take them in and be their, their true family. Others of us just want our health records. We weren't left with any health records. So when we go into a doctor's office and they say, is there cancer or heart disease or diabetes in your family? We have to say, I don't know because I'm adopted and we have to start from scratch, you know, trying to figure out our ailments. So that's important too. And I hope that the adoptive system these days is doing a better job of of leaving some health records with children who are being adopted. Yeah. So 
I wanted to, you, you used this word closure and uh, it struck me that that's, it, it, it seems to me that closure is on two two levels. Um, so from, a, a, you know, we're talking about, we've been talking about so far about squash, squashing our, um, squashing our feelings. So closure on, on one level mean, seems to me to be like an end of the pain. Um and then at, at a at another level, um, closure seems to me is a an end an end of the questions. So, you know, we 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 look for closure is in if we're if we're pursuing a a, a route, you know, we 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 go through search and reunion. We're we're looking for uh, a, an end to the questions, um, and then uh, emotionally we're looking uh, for an end an end to the pain as well. Um, does closure mean, and I'd like to dive into those two, two bits, um, but does closure mean anything else to you at a kind of like a top level other than the end of the questions and the end of the pain? No, as a novelist, I like to think about closure as being the end of different chapters. You know, in a book, you have many, many chapters. And I think we can have closure at, at many different endings. You know, and I think each chapter can lead to the next. You know, we might have closure that, that we found our birth family. We might have closure that we've met that family or that we found out about health records. You know, there might be another chapter that opens where you have a relationship with that family, or maybe you deepen a relationship with the adoptive family that you had, you know, I mean, they're, they're all types of chapters in our lives. And I think each one of them ends, but it's not the end of the novel, you know, it leads to the next chapter. And that's what I would like for us all to, to keep, keep continuing and growing and expressing our feelings. I think, Closure for me when I found my birth family just meant that I was able to more fully express those feelings and emotions about that, about that journey. But that journey wasn't over. I did have a relationship with that birth family. It didn't take the place of the adoptive family that I had, but it enriched my life. In, in many ways. And I think there's enough love in all of us to be spread around to lots of different families and, and lots of different relationships. My oldest daughter adopted four older children. They were from age 16 to eight. And you would think that children coming into a family at those ages could never be assimilated into, you know, the family and, and for everyone to, to feel that they were truly a part of the family, but it's worked beautifully. You know, that's another chapter is the adoption story can continue in the same family in beautiful ways. And it doesn't have to, you know, be traumatic. And these, these children are, are thriving there. Yeah. I think um, you make a very valid point because, I'm looking at a once and done ending and, and you're talking about um, uh, chapters and, and breaking it down. And, I, and, and I, on, on reflection, that's a far more 
um, true to life part. So uh, a true a true to life view of 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 closure. I, I think we keep on. So it's that ongoing piece. So. Um, uh, I heard this expressed really beautifully. Um, it's the journey to seeing who we are uh, and then the, the journey in seeing that more and more. So the end of chapter the end of chap at the end of chapter one, And this is after we've come out of the fog, I think. Um, we see who we are. We separate. We realise that we are not our feelings. We realise that we are, are not our trauma. We realise that we are not our past. Um, and, and then we move forward remember forgetting that remembering it forgetting it remembering it forgetting it remembering it and and that and that's kind of how it goes for the rest of our life and but we're sold this idea and i fell for it too so much that i i, I looked at closure as once and done when i was expressing it to you when i was asking you a question i, I saw closure as once and once and done Whereas really, it's more like a, a book of infinite chapters. And, you know, I have always loved historical homes. I, I can walk into a home that was built in the 1700s or the 1800s, and I can feel the families who live there and the emotions and the memories of those people in that and the walls of that home. And I, I kind of feel that that's the way our bodies are, that that's the way our minds and our souls are. I think we absorb all the people, all the relationships, all the emotions we felt throughout our lives. And that's what creates us. That's what enriches us. That that's what we grow into. You know, at my age, I'm always looking back and I always have some beautiful memories and some terrible memories. And I think of the way they've shaped me and they've made me the person I am today. And I don't discount any of those. I, I regret some of my choices in life but those took me down a certain path and made me into the person that I am today. I wouldn't have been the same person if I hadn't been tested, if I hadn't experienced some of that trauma. And I just, I, I just think that we all are growing into the people that we're supposed to be in spite of those circumstances, in spite of the beginning of our lives, in spite of the trauma that we felt just like those those ancient homes, when we are truly ancient, that we'll, we'll have absorbed all of that, all of life's beauty and trauma, and we will be 
so much richer because of it. Yeah. What came to mind when you were describing that is this, um, this, uh, on one hand, it's the connection of us all in, in, in one spirit, um, one eternal spirit. Uh, on, on another hand, it, it, it's the um, passing on of kind of like generational trauma. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about some time I've spent in, in Africa. So, we used to go on this time of year and um, we used to go to the to the Gambia on holiday a lot um uh, for a, a sun and siege a sun and beach holiday right? and and um uh, Gambia is is where um you remember the uh, Alex Haley book roots do you remember that and the TV show from the 70s okay so Alex Alex Haley was uh, in a mandinka tribe um in 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 what is now Gambia or uh, Senegal, that area. Um, so Gambia is the English colony, and Senegal is uh, what? Well, sorry, Gambia was the English colony, and Senegal is a French colony that wrapped itself around it. So yeah, uh, Alex Ali was uh, Kunta Kinte was was Mandinka tribe, and and I, I and I've got to know a lot of um, um, people o- over there in, uh, in 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 the in the Gambia, and. Uh, and I, when I hear of stuff in the in the states, I think of like the uh, the generational trauma that's that's passed passed down um, as a result of of what the we we Brits did or or, or you know were part of in terms of the slave trade. Um, so there's that generational uh, trauma piece, and also I see that you know when we talk about the shame that our birth mums went through i see maybe some there's some generational trauma that's passed down from them because they are uh very aware of their shame um in a way that we aren't when we're um when we're born um i wanted to go back to something that the, the, the squashing um the a distinction between squashing our feelings and Realizing that our feelings aren't who we are, separating from our feelings, being less concerned about our feelings, being less emotophobic, as in uh, uh, having a phobia about fe- our feelings. Um, so, what what does that what does that mean? To, what comes to what does that mean to you, Julia? What comes to to your mind when when I'm when we look at squashing our feelings versus separating from them. I grew up in the South, in the United States, in the Deep South. And from an early age, we were taught that you didn't talk about certain topics. You didn't talk about religion. You didn't talk about politics. You did not discuss money with anyone. There were just certain guidelines that we all knew, even as children, that it would be rude that it would not be using your manners to discuss any of this in polite company. So I think squashing those emotions is kind of like a repressed society. I think there are just certain things that we don't talk about that we can't discuss fully. And I think that that takes us uh, until we become much older 
until we become much wiser to know the difference in squashing and repressing and actually being able to discuss and to feel those emotions. And it's okay to feel those emotions and to let those out, but we can't be, our lives can't be determined by just raw emotions. We have to harness them. We have to try to figure them out and to, to be able to, to move past them or to live with them or to grow from them. We have to, to, to make them work for us. We're not going to work for those emotions. We want them to work for us. And how can we be propelled into something better from those emotions? It's okay to feel. It's okay to cry. It's okay to rant or rave or have anger. But then you have to really harness those and, and to, to make them part of you, but to not let them rule you. You know, you can't go out into the world and, and make a difference or do good works or even have a, a worthy career if, if you're emotional all the time, if you allow your emotions to rule you. So I think that's one way that we, we have to, you know, understand our emotions and ex experience them, express them, but we, we can't let them rule us. No. There's so much there, isn't there? Um, it, what if, if if there was one word, if if we say we're, we're saying that um, squashing our emotions isn't isn't healthy uh, for us, it's not good for us. Squashing our feelings isn't good for us. Um, if there was if there was one word out of because you, you you gave us a, a, a lovely uh, a lovely list there. Um, if there was one word for you that summed up to be something that is uh, beneficial, if if we're, we're saying squashing is disadvantageous, um, if there was one word that you could come up with from all, from from the list that you gave us, or, or or maybe from another, what would you say would be beneficial rather than squashing them? we should excellent. What would that be? I would probably say adapt them. You know, all of my life, I've kind of been a chameleon. I was a single parent myself for many years, and I had to learn to cope. I, I couldn't afford to just um, live on my emotions or to only care about myself. I had young children to take care of. And so I had to adapt. I had to become the person in my mind that I wanted to be. I had to see into the future. I had to say, what do I want to be for myself and then for my children? And so I had to adapt. I, if I felt those emotions rising to the surface, I had to find a way to deal with them. I had to create uh, a way to do that without harming myself or my children. So I think we can adapt. I think we can adapt to our circumstances. I think we can rise above the trauma, but I think adaptation is, is a way to deal with those emotions.
So are you advocating adapting our feelings? I'm adapting myself through those feelings. Okay. Yeah. And if, if there was something that you were going to do with the feelings themselves, what would that be? You know, I always think that if we're feeling something that's very powerful, you know, to share that with someone, I, I truly believe that relationships in this life are the most important thing we have. And if we can find someone else, just like you're doing with this podcast, if we can find others who are feeling some of the same emotions and feelings that we are, you know, to talk to them, to be able to say, this is how I'm feeling. How are you feeling? Have you ever experienced this? How did you deal with it? You know, just having a conversation with other people about the same topics is, is so vital and so important to us. And I think that's how we learn and grow and, and, and to have a confidant, to have someone that we can pick up the phone and, and say, you know, this is really getting to me today. How, how did you deal with this when this happened to you? I think that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I love the sharing one. As I was, as I was a- asking you the question, I was kind of formulating what would be my favorite out of what you said. And did you say embrace or was that just me making that one up? Did you say embrace our emotions? I do think we should embrace our emotions. Uh, I don't think that every emotion is bad, even the most powerful ones. And I think they're, they become a part of us. We just have to know how to harness them and how to make them work for us. Yeah. Um, I I had a lovely uh, soundbite on this a couple of years ago that stuck with me. Um, So it, it, it was, uh, turn our turning our mess into our message. I think that's a lovely way of. I do think that's lovely, and you know, there were many times in my life when I thought everyone thinks that I can't do this. Everyone thinks, oh, you know, she was a little adopted girl who became a single parent and. You know, she's not going to be able to achieve anything. Well, I let that motivate me. I let everyone's misconceptions of me, misunderstandings of me, motivate me and make me become a much more successful person. So I I wanted to turn that negative into a positive for sure for my life and for my children's lives. Yeah. Another one I, I heard on this um, that comes to mind uh, as you're speaking is to um, to turn our SH1T into manure. <laughs> so it helps us grow. I think that's great. And I, I don't think that anyone should underestimate another person because there's something deep inside us, whether it's a wound or whether it's that paper cut that you're talking about, or whether it's just a desire that, you know, we're going to make this place better for ourselves and for others. Yeah. What do you, what do you think that is? I, I think that, that I do want to see this, this small planet 
that we have been gifted. I, I do want to see it be better because of my life on it. You know, maybe I was an accident. Maybe I was a mistake. Maybe that's the way my life began, but it's not the way my life is going to end. Yeah. I heard something last week, actually, that um, echoes this in a really lovely way. Echoes it, summarizes it, I think. Um, nature doesn't make mistakes. Yeah. I believe that. So that feels like a great place to bring the conversation in. Um, you've you've mentioned your uh, mentioned your book, so um, listeners, I would encourage you to check out in the show notes links to to to, to Julia's books. Um, but before we uh, before we sign off, is there something that you'd like to share that I've not uh, given you opportunity to to to, to share? I just think that all adoptees are are worthy and there's a reason that we are who we are and and where we are in this life. And I, I just think that all of us have a place and all of us have a mission. And I, I hope that we all are able to fulfill that mission and be able to to see it work out in our own in our own lives, our own times. Yeah, lovely. And what's your mission? Well, at first, my mission was to to raise my children and to have them become uh, productive citizens, which they all have. And and now it's it's to love my grandchildren and and to show those adopted grandchildren that that we all have a place here and that we're all worthy. And I'm, I'm able to see that as well. Yeah. Beautiful. And of course, listeners, the clearer we can see our own worth, the better our chances of helping others see their own worth too. So um, thank you very much, Julia. It's been a, an honour. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, and we'll speak to you again very soon. Bye-bye.